Hello, and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge, and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Galia, and in this episode, I'm joined by Antonia, Jennifer, and Anika to talk about forecasting weather and offer our points of view on why we care about the weather and our ability to forecast it. I think it's a super relevant topic given the last couple of days, and I hope the content doesn't blow you away. I feel like I had to make that. I just it was had worth to do the wait. That. It was worth the wait. It was- <laughs> <laughs> I think to start with, what would be good is to define what we actually mean by weather. So weather is basically the way in which the atmosphere behaves and how we experience that as humans and our human activity. There are many components of weather, so we can see this in sunshine, rain, wind, sleet, etc. But it's really focused on a particular point in time and in a particular place. So when you talk about weather, you talk about it in minutes, hours, days, at a push weeks. And then climate is when you actually describe the long-term pattern of the weather of a particular area. So when it comes to weather forecasting, that really is our understanding of our current science and technology to predict the conditions of the atmosphere at a given point and location. I feel like that is a definition of weather. Does anybody else have any things that they want to add to this definition? No, I think that's a good definition. And I think sometimes those things like last week can happen all in one day. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So why is weather forecasting important? For my industry, looking at kind of water resource planning, understanding rainfall activity is extremely important. It allows us to make sure that we have enough water to meet our demands for the foreseeable future. And by demands, I mean, you know, drinking water, our agriculture uses, our ability to use a dishwasher, but also to make sure that there's enough water for the environment. And we also need to understand where it rains because that really affects our flooding and our drought planning. So for me, forecasting weather is extremely important. I know for you, Antonia, that it's also quite important to understand how this links to energy use. Yeah, so in the energy industry, the the weather determines how much energy we'll use. When it's colder, um, we'll have more heating on. So that will uh, affect um, gas usage and to some extent electricity, as we now have electric heating in homes. When it comes to darker days as well, we'll use more lighting. Um, Now we have more efficient lighting, so that's changing. And now with um, technologies like wind and solar, we do need to bear in mind the climate more than weather, but it could still have an effect. The recent gas price uh, increase was from less wind as well as other supply chain issues. I guess also you talked about like the cold, but also the opposite when it's hot. In a lot of places around the world, they have AC. So in either case, the energy is consumed in, in kind of any climate almost, any weather condition yeah that's a good point (laughs) I was thinking so much about the UK winter recently and Storm Dudley and Eunice that I kind of forgot that there's hot climate and (laughs) AC I hope we get to have that experience soon I'm very cold and it's very miserable outside how about you Nika how about how why is weather forecasting and the weather important to you I walk everywhere or get the train. And so it's quite nice to know if your train's cancelled because of trees falling onto the track (laughs) and things like that. So it's quite useful just so that I can live my life that I'm not going to get blown away up a hill. 
I think that's my personal experience. It's more for just living my day-to-day life. And that's exactly what it is. So I think it's super important to understand the weather for our human activities. That's basically what it is. It doesn't really matter if it rains in the middle of nowhere no, where no one lives. But yeah, it really affects your day-to-day. Jennifer, you live in Sweden, so you might be just laughing at us, complaining about like <laughs> short days <laughs> and, and cold weather when you're like, I live in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. How does it affect you? Well, the other day I just woke up and it was completely white outside. So, <laughs> and yeah, I think the weather is, uh, it's kind of similar to the UK sometimes that it's really temperamental. So one day you're like, okay, let me go get my bike, take a bike ride. And then the next day it's snowing. So yeah, but overall, I think it's very, very cold here. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, everyone's just complaining about the weather. This is such a British <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Everyone's just sat here talking about the miserable weather. Okay, perfect. So I guess that's why it's important to us. It's important to us for our own industries, but also just for us to be functionable humans day in, day out. So Jennifer, I think you know a bit about weather forecasting, the history behind weather forecasting and how we use that today. Yeah, I came across quite a few in- interesting points. So one of the earliest accounts of weather predictions are with the ancient Babylonians, so present day Iraq and Syria, about 650 uh, for Christ, so a very long time ago. Wow. They used the shape and appearance of clouds to predict the weather for shorter time periods. And I guess many people still do this. I mean, I do. Whenever you see gray clouds outside, you just, I mean, you know for certain that it's going to rain. So you head inside. Modern day weather forecasts in the UK started around mid 19th century, according to one article I found on the BBC. Super great source. Uh, (laughs) One person who had an impact on modern day weather forecasting was Admiral Robert Fitzroy. Why was there a need for this, you might ask? Well, you have to understand that in the UK, the consensus at this time was that weather predictions were impossible and ridiculous. So if you tried to do this, you were often laughed at and mocked. But uh, this admiral, uh, why he wanted to do this was many people that headed off to sea, they lost their lives as a result of upcoming turbulent weather so he wanted to inform them before they headed off to save lives basically he he started with these storm warnings that he sent off to different parts by telegraph as he continued he started to add other types of weather forecasts so not just storms but like whether it's going to be raining or cloudy and so on And it became more popular with the general public because before the target audience was fishermen, sailors, or anyone going off to sea. And these predictions were also published in newspapers. But unfortunately, many of these predictions were inaccurate and wrong. So he got quite mixed reviews. And you have to understand or think about fishermen who lost potential income because of these inaccurate predictions. So in the end, he was heavily criticized and mocked, and he actually took his own life. That's a sad story. Well, I think that really hones in on a particular point, which we talk a lot about on this podcast and like science communication being one of them. So we understand like, so he was looking at forecasting, for example, and trying to communicate that 
the public, which was really important. But when you get it wrong, the consequences of getting it wrong, people just have like a massive distrust and just really kind of don't allow for that kind of um, for those inaccuracies to come through, which is which is sad. And it's, it's a hard thing to communicate. Yeah, I agree. Not just inaccuracy, but I guess just uncertainty mm. seems to be something that, you know, people like a straightforward answer, whereas you have all sorts of uh, scientific theories or even established science, which we have, but there's an asterisk, there's a, we're a little bit uncertain about it, but then it can be, you know, if people are saying they don't believe in science anymore, but it's, it's just a, it's almost like a statistical, um, what's the word for it? Like scenario? probability, probability. Yeah. Yeah. We have a large collection that even though we don't know for certain it's almost 99%, but we still have to disclaim there is that 1% of uncertainty. Like when your weather app says there's 10% chance of rain, but you look outside and it looks like someone's throwing water from a bucket out your window. <laughs> I think it's because that 10% isn't actually based on probability. It's also based on area coverage. So I think it's okay. not just on probability, but usually when you just see a percentage, you're like, okay, there's only 10% chance. But actually there's yeah. a bit more to it than just the probability of it raining in your area. Antonio, just to go back to the modeling element, in my industry, we do a lot of modeling to kind of understand rainfall patterns, precipitation. So, you know, if we do have a massive reservoir, is it going to be super hot? super sunny all the time and most of the water is going to evaporate or is it going to be raining all the time so these are important but they're all based on the data that we have and then predicting scenarios for the future and so we're getting better at the quality of our data at the moment there's weather stations all around the UK and it really helps to kind of understand what data we have and how we can manipulate that data but we're still not in a position where we can kind of hand on heart say this is the scenario that's going to happen over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Aniki, you're talking about looking outside and trying to understand the weather forecast over the next hour. And here, we're here in my industry trying to forecast for the next 80, 100 years. <laughs> so there's going to be a massive element of like understanding that. And I think, again, what's difficult is that we're seeing we're seeing the the effects of climate change but we really don't know what is actually going to happen we're still learning that so mm. it's kind of learning on the job and trying to make our models learn on the job too which is not easy yeah there must be so many uncertainties with climate change just because there'll be so much less data available on these new patterns that are emerging so yeah it must be a huge challenge in my industry we we focus on like a one in ten scenario so the chances of something you know looking at historically what happens in that 10-year period we look at one in 200 one in 500 but those events are becoming a lot more frequent now so what used to be a one in 200 year event so a flooding event or a storm event is happening now like one in every hundred years so our understanding of these events are actually changing we're not sure how quickly they're changing and mm. so that's why our input into the model isn't always accurate because we're changing all the time Antonia what's your experiencing of modeling and what what can what knowledge can you impart on this don't say that because I have no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no knowledge. On I have no knowledge. <laughs> I know that, um, you know, there's different types of modeling you can do. You use historic data to forecast what might happen in the future and you would use correlations. And if you grab multiple variables that have this effect, then you would be creating a multi-linear regression model. Uh, and that can be really good when you've got lots of historic data you can quite reliably say these conditions are repeatable. But, you know, with climate change, these variables have different effects on each other. 
and like Galia said, the statistical chances of these extreme events are happening more. I guess another way would be to actually create a model based on principles. So based on like, if pressure is at this, water, humidity, um, levels in the air, all this kind of thing, then we could try and forecast the weather based on that. But I think at that point, you need quite a big, chunky computer to to be able to do or deal all those data points because we want we want localized weather information because if you think about the mass of air over over one area and you have to model all of that with all the different changes at any given time it's a lot of data to crunch in one go yeah you need a lot of computational power to be able to determine that and then I guess that begs the question like is it worth it do we really need to know exactly what the weather is going to be like at a very specific point in time I mean Anika does so that she uh, doesn't get you said blown up the hill I think you said at one point <laughs> oh yeah, yeah I've been like also like my trains are just always cancelled anyway regardless of the weather so I don't know why that's even why they bother for that anyway but yeah I've it was so windy like it was it was just ridiculous but I think that's a really good point that Antonia raises about how localized we need to be like do I need to know what's happening in my garden probably not but do I need to know what's happening in all of Manchester that's probably like more useful information to know but it it can be very hyper localized or you don't need to know in your garden but if I was to come up with a flood evacuation plan I need to know more than your garden but the whole of Manchester is a bit too big so I need to be able to understand mm. that. And I think because of the way we, in which we've developed. So a lot of areas that used to be grasslands um, or places that could absorb water and is now concrete, essentially, or, or things that really don't absorb in the water. It means we get a lot of flash flooding. So it's just instant, a lot of flood, basically, because it rains very heavily. And so our modeling doesn't actually always take that into account so we can understand that it might rain a lot in that area but the consequences of that is what we actually really need to understand so okay so it's going to rain super like a lot but it's okay because that's kind of the sea but if it's like in central London uh, that's actually a big issue we could see a lot of flash flooding so it's it's a kind of understanding what the consequences of that what the output of that model is and what that how that translates to us. Did any of you watch the uh, latest Russian Grand Prix. Uh, nope. <laughs> You're speaking to the wrong no, audience. No. <laughs> no, no, but this had a huge consequence. So this is Formula One and across the racetrack, it started raining, but some bits were, were drier and some bits were wetter. And, you know, they have different tyres for different conditions. And because it was changeable, a lot of people were going to change their tyres, which would add time so they would lose their their position in track and Lando Norris was leading him and his team thought that the rain wasn't that bad the team had the information on screen to see where the how the rainfall was coming and you know they're looking at one minute intervals because the you know across the track they go you know a lapse like one minute two minutes and so they needed that data to see how much rain was they going to be he was coming into the last few laps of the race he didn't pit and Lewis who was just behind him um did and just after that Lando uh spun lost position and lost his first win so you know sometimes we do maybe need that hyper localized minute by minute forecast of rain 
having that information obviously is really important in that situation but for your average person who doesn't know much about weather their experience is probably just in things that they see on in like on Netflix or in movies and I think that the kind of doomsday kind of like the weather everything's gonna we're all gonna die basically comes out across a lot and I think that um, Anika is someone who specializes in extreme weather binge watching documentaries slash <laughs> films none, none of them are documentaries none of them real life yet it's, it's only like fictional oh sorry my bad <laughs> here's me thinking it's a documentary <laughs> yeah it's all fictional but it's true I think people are interested in it because it does affect everyone so much so there's like always been so many movies about big changes in the weather so the day after tomorrow is like one of my childhood favorite uh, movies and it's motivated me to actually go into science because I saw all the research no one listened to the scientists though which hasn't changed um so I don't know why like I didn't pick up on that that no one listens to scientists uh and yeah I should have realized that at the time but yeah so this guy was like had these models that he'd built up using old historical data like from the ice age and stuff and no one was listening to him that like the world's just going to something not very nice and there was just an ice age and like helicopters are freezing in the sky and like falling down not very realistic but after the storms this week I'm like yeah (laughs) could happen why not also I think it plays a big role in um setting the scene for a lot of things so like in a lot of stories like Wizard of Oz for example that's like there's a tornado and Dorothy ends up not in Kansas oh in Oz obviously I was like where does she go she goes to Oz um through this tornado also the plot of a fabulous k-drama called crash landing on you where a woman is testing a paraglider and ends up in north korea because of a tornado so tornadoes are ruthless guys um they can take you to all sorts of places <laughs> so um, can we have a little disclaimer um if you get if you get caught in a tornado firstly try not to get caught up in a tornado <laughs> secondly chances of you surviving that and end up in ending up in a completely different continent i'm not sure <laughs> She was in South Korea, to be fair, oh, okay. so it wasn't that like... Okay, fair. She wasn't in Manchester and ended up in North Korea. <laughs> and also linking back to what Jennifer was saying at the beginning about storms, and that was the reason why these weather forecasts did come into play, that I think it obviously does have a huge, huge impact on, on people's lives, especially these big events. I think having the information that is so... Like this week, I think not much has changed from what you explained, Jennifer, before about like the warnings for storms like here it's also they still did like yellow warning amber red yeah I don't think much has changed in terms of the purpose of the forecast from when it first started and I think what we've talked a lot about um kind of forecasting weather but there's also this other side where we we are trying to kind of understand whether to kind of manipulate it and to be able to kind of control it within ourselves so there's um I'll give you an, an example there's something called cloud seeding um, and that's a form of geoengineering which is kind of controversial but it basically involves using silver iodide and um, getting that into clouds and via aircraft basically putting it putting those clouds wherever you want them to be uh, and then that I'm not entirely sure about the chemistry but that the silver iodide then reacts and then droplets come down so trying to kind of manipulate rain and I guess that's a whole other discussion but our understanding of weather is encouraging some people to actually use that to to manipulate what we understand of weather at the moment. So I guess like that's kind of the flip side of forecasting. It's like okay, there's the forecasting element, but actually like people are trying to control it as well. So they do this in the UAE, yeah. Because my I have some family there, and I remember like 
being told, oh, they, yeah, they're making it rain today. And I'd be like, what? Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's not real. Like, how, how can they do this? And I can't believe that's 80 years old. Yeah, it's been around for a while. I think it, it was it was around for a while because of initially for more agricultural uses to see if it was possible. Um, it's not a very good form of agricultural use. You know, like irrigation is usually kind of more water effective and water efficient but in the emirates i'm assuming it's because it's super hot and they need to cool people down and cool the environment down i also wonder what changing the weather how that affects forecasting the weather doing these things which change the weather does that change the weather even more i don't know if that makes sense yeah like is there a long-term effect of cloud seeding yeah I mean, if if we're going by movie logic, like <laughs> it's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, it can. Because <laughs> if you put your your cloud seeding technology um, into the clouds, what if it just eats up all the clouds and infinitely makes it rain? Food, obviously, not very realistic, but it does have the implication of are we changing things against what they were before? Equally, you know, if we could make drought areas have more water why wouldn't we do that i think the only kind of concern or issue i have with that is that we're not going to the source of the problem so we're we're kind of not really fixing the issue so if there's a reason why we're um kind of taking away a lot of um groundwater from our area and that's causing some kind of like drought then we're not helping the situation we're we're not going back to the root cause of what the issue is. And I think you can just introduce more problems if you're not addressing the actual issue at hand. But it's it's a much bigger discussion. It's quite a wide um, area, which people are talking about. Apart from rain, no one's really doing that much more. No one really wants to kind of stimulate another storm event, to be honest. Most people would, would shy away from that. But I think it's really predominantly on like rain at the moment, unless unless anyone knows anything else. But I only know really um, kind of manipulating rain. That's all I've heard of. Even even in the film world, Anika? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I can't think of any, um, <laughs> unless we mentioned the other the other K-drama that we've been, well, our producer Laura has started watching it. We haven't watched it yet. It's predicting love and weather. So if you want to include love ah, yeah. in the forecast, you can. But that's, um, <laughs> I think that's a whole other podcast. I think I think we've also had a look at, when I say we, I mean geoengineering has had a look at if we can recreate the clouds to prevent as much um, global warming by yeah. shading the earth so that we have less solar radiation. Yeah. So that we, even though we have the greenhouse gas effect, maybe if we just let a little less sunlight in in the first place, maybe all that will say, again, massive changes to, I guess, climate as opposed to weather. So yeah. really it's climate engineering. But also, aren't there these like projects like um, where they recreate a climate in a enclosed location? Like I'm sure there's one. Is it Eden project project or something? So it's like a bubble, and in it they've got like a whole ecosystem, and it rains in there, and they try and recreate all of these things. I think so. The purpose of that is looking at like an ecosystem. So it's kind of um, you're managing and controlling like humidity, rain, all that kind of stuff. But so you can control that environment to allow a particular ecosystem to flourish. But I don't know about like, like kind of creating a world where you can then introduce lightning and then storm and then sleet. I I don't know about if that kind of mini world exists, possibly. Mm. If you could control the weather, would you still include some of the more 
extreme things like tornadoes, lightning, snow, sleet. Who who likes sleet? Like, would, <laughs> would we choose to keep sleet in the in the mix or hail? I I think this is when we have to take a step back and think about all the other species in the environment in the world. I don't know the benefit of sleet for like <laughs> ladybugs <laughs> or like <laughs> trees. I don't know the effects it has on like the wider environment. Um, but yeah, if we're looking at our own human species, possibly not. But it might like looking further afield, it might actually be beneficial. That, that, I don't know how that is true because um, I remember that. So I used to live in France and they used to have forest fires and apparently this type of tree only propagates its pollen or whatever through I don't know if it's pollen whatever the seeds um but when they're burnt like that's like they need that to like grow so that's like a natural process that's been happening for thousands of years it's just a problem now because people live next to it that it's really dangerous yeah obviously because of climate change like burning whole forests is really bad also but it's something that used to happen naturally like it was a natural way for that like ecosystem to survive and I think because we've talked about these changes in weather becoming like how we would change the weather. But I think it has changed, hasn't it? Like throughout history, it's just now changing at a, un, like in front of our eyes at an unprecedented accelerated rate, I guess, because there has, wasn't there an ice age in Europe? Um, like I feel that Europe was covered in ice at some point in history. Yeah. And also like uh, other areas, like rivers have disappeared in like prehistoric civilizations. There might have been a river and now there's no river in, in that area. So I think it has always happened and will always happen. It's just humans have accelerated those changes, right? I, from a human from a human perspective, I can only really speak from a human <laughs> perspective, but um, I think the issue is not necessarily just about the acceleration. I think it's a put as a point of um, we we are no longer resilient to it. So we've built our environment to cater for a particular event yeah. of any kind. And we're at a point now in, in our history where because of our actions, yeah things are becoming a bit more extreme and we're just not resilient to that. And that's the main reason why we're really taking any action. Mm. If if we were still resilient to all this, I doubt that there would be, there could be a billion other reports on climate change coming out, but I don't think anyone would take any real action. Yeah. But we're seeing the consequences of that and we know that we can't sustain this. Yeah. I assume. I don't know if that's a very cynical way of looking no, at no, the I world. No, no, I think that's very true. <laughs> I guess, yeah, from a conservation point of view, people would have said the ecosystem is getting pushed beyond the point of resilience that we're losing so many species and they would have been there if it wasn't for humans so in a sense we do kind of have to take action because it was our fault yeah yeah I agree when we bring this back to forecasting I think we have to be really holistic like we can't just focus on only the rain for example because surely other things affect how the rain impacts the environment that we're in so whether that it's windy or whether um, what, as you said before, Ghali, like what the environment's made of, things like that. So, yeah, maybe it's will rain only a little bit, but a little bit in an area where they've built loads of uh, concrete and there's not very good drainage and things like that could be really severe. So having that holistic thing, I think, must be really challenging for, for, for modelers because it's not just the physical weather patterns. It's how it interacts with the environment that we're in that I yeah. think is a real challenge. I think also, what, what's also a challenge is that they all, they're all they all interdependent, like the weather itself. So the reason why we have rain is because of pressure differences, which allows the wind to happen. And so the wind and the rain are very connected. And so if you start changing one, I don't know, like on what scale 
that has to be changed for it to kind of affect everything else. And I don't think we understand it well enough yet for us to, to like kind of like play God with the weather and see what, what happens. Like, okay, let's see what happens when we do this. <laughs> <laughs> so before we end up making our own little world um, with lots of different, um, with, I don't know, in, in Antonia's world, there's no sleet. <laughs> in Anika's world, it's like an ice age and like the, the day after tomorrow. It sounds like a good place probably to leave before we deviate completely off topic. So it's clear that we're still in a position where we're using historical data to kind of forecast the weather. And we're not there yet with like complete accuracy in terms of like um, forecasting it to the millimeter for the next like 10, 20, 30 years. We're getting a lot better at it. The main reason why we seem to be wanting to improve our modeling is just how it really affects us as humans and our human activity. And as Jennifer mentioned at the early stages, communicating that to people, understanding what that weather means to us is extremely important because it affects not only Anika's train cancellations, but people's livelihoods and incomes. And I think that's really, really important to draw attention to that. Our predictions really are as good as our assumptions. And we're still still trying to improve those assumptions as we're going forward. And maybe going forward, we'll be able to change the weather as well as we have tried to predict in this podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. If you're interested in what we've said, please find us on Twitter or Instagram if you want to carry on this conversation or leave a comment on the episode. The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.